Todd mentioned uh, <clears throat> the Easter breakfast, um, the Easter service. I want to, Ronnie will be telling you more about that in a little bit, but I want to just uh, emphasize that. Ask you to plan on bringing somebody, okay? We're trying to get back to normal, and um, we're going to go ahead and do a breakfast this, this uh, Easter. As you know, we didn't get to meet last Easter because of the quarantine. So I want to encourage you to come and be a part of that and bring somebody with you. I think it'll be a good time. You know, whenever we talk about ministry, there's a lot of ideas and thoughts that come up. We've talked on this topic numerous times before throughout the years because it is such an important topic when we minister to other people. But sometimes that gets to be hard. It really does. Um, we we try to help people, and sometimes they don't want it. We try to minister to people, and sometimes they're just not into it. And so, consequently, we get discouraged, and we sometimes get our feelings hurt. We get uh, drained because of all of the demands on us. And sometimes we just uh, pass the buck. It's easier for us to pass the buck to somebody else and think, well, somebody else will take care of that person. Somebody else will do this. And consequently, we don't do anything. We don't reach out. We don't try to help. And when we talk about ministry, we're talking about a lot of things. We're not just talking about uh, one certain thing that may come to your mind. We're talking about ministering and helping people in any possible way that they might need help. We've said that before. It could be sharing of the gospel with them. It could be teaching them. It could be taking care of them in some way, helping them, taking food, just any type of ministry. And that does at times get burdensome. It does get uh, uh, stressful. And sometimes we just seem to drop out by the wayside. And it has been said of people, and I think probably you know as well as I do, that as you think about people who just sort of fall by the wayside, sometimes we refer to those people as being hard-hearted. In other words, they've been burned, they've been uh, wore out, whatever, and they have grown a little bit more callous than they used to be concerning the things of God, the work of God, and even the Spirit of God. And we refer to those people as being hard-hearted. Now, maybe... For you, that's where you are. When it comes to the idea of ministering to people, helping people, going out of your way to be involved in the lives of other people, you think to yourself, well, I'm, I'm a little bit that way. I'm kind of cold, hard-hearted, and I don't really want to be involved. You need to understand that as we as, we as a church progress and proceed further on down the, the line as far as our own maturity as a church, it can't happen without ministry. It can't happen without people being involved in the lives of other people, caring about them, taking care of them, reaching out to them, supporting and encouraging, all of the things that go into that. And sometimes I think that Christians, especially in America, tend to want to sit back and watch other people do things, but they don't want to be involved. But can you imagine what any church would be like, how it would change and what the the makeup of that church would be if everybody saw themselves as a minister. Maybe you can't do as much as you used to be able to do. Uh, that's understandable. But something, some way, somehow to minister and care about other people and to reach out to those people. My goodness, what would it do to a church? How would it make that church look? Today what I'd like to talk to you about are some things that I want you to remember about ministering to people and hopefully, as we talk about this and we go into this, it will help you to be become more of a minister and less hard-hearted, let's say, 
Um, stop saying to yourself, well, somebody will do it or letting somebody do it, but instead you jumping in there and you taking care of the problem, you dealing with the issue, and you be the one that reaches out to the person that may be in need. That's going to require not just you being made aware of situations, but it's going to require you looking for them. And we'll talk more about this as we go through this message today. Here's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be looking at another miracle that Jesus performs. And it is you need to understand that this miracle and the one we talked about last week are connected. And if you don't see that, it's going to be hard for you to appreciate what we're talking about today. If you remember last week, we were in John chapter 6, and we were talking about the feeding of the 5,000. We were talking about that miracle that Jesus did and, and how that, you know, the point of the thing was that he was trying to teach his disciples and everybody there that not only am I God, you know, and can do these things, and everybody would marvel, but he was trying to teach his disciples especially that it, I can do a whole lot with just a little. And when those disciples went and found the fish and the loaves and they brought it to him, um, he multiplied it remarkably. And that lesson was driven home in that one miracle. Now, what I want to do today is this. I want to take you back to the period leading up to the miracle and the period following the miracle. And so we're not going to be talking about the feeding of the 5,000, but I want to talk to you about what led to that and then what followed. Because this is an interesting passage. And as you look at this, it's, it's got some hard lessons for us. It's got some things that we need to look at, some things that we need to understand. So I want to bring you up to speed or put, put you in the, the setting of what we're talking about today. There was a, a, a time when Jesus uh, called his disciples aside and he said, you guys are going to go out now and you're going to minister to people. And I don't want you to take any money with you. I don't want you to take a change of clothes. I don't want you to take anything. He said, just what you have on your backs. And I'm going to give you the power to heal the sick and cast out demons. And whenever you go into a new city and those people reject you, then just knock the dust off your feet and go to the next one. And whenever you go into the city, you go and find somebody that will allow you to stay with them that night. And that was customary. That was their hospitality, their way of living. So it wasn't unusual. And he said, we'll meet back here at a certain time, which was probably, when you think about it, weeks later. And we'll uh, see how it goes. So he sent them out on this, on this missions trip, if you will. And so they went out and they performed the miracles and did the things that he told them they could do. And then they come back. Now, when they come back, it's where we're picking up, okay? So we're in Mark chapter 6 today. We're going to begin with verses 30 and 32. He said, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus, because then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. All right, so this is immediately following their trip and their missions trip. Now, just picture this, okay? These guys have been gone out, or have gone out for what's been probably weeks um, from city to city, house to house, and they've never done that before. But he sent them out basically for practice, for them to learn. And when they came back together, he said, we're going to get together and debrief and talk about it. So they come back and they haven't eaten. They're exhausted. 
They are so tired of being around people. And they're telling him all that they did. And I can just imagine that conversation as they talk about, hey, this person had such and such disease and I just laid hands on them and they were, they were healed. And this person had demons and we cast out those demons and so forth. And then he said to them, he said, listen, why don't we get away? Why don't we get away, just us, and we'll get into this boat and we'll go across the Sea of Galilee here, which is basically just a big lake. And he said, we'll just lay back in the grass on the hillside and we'll talk and we'll eat and we'll laugh together. We'll have a campfire and we'll just spend the night there and we'll just have some R&R and some downtime and, and just relax because I know that you're exhausted. They, man, that sounded great to them. They all pile in the boat and they head across the Sea of Galilee. Now here's what happens. Verses 33 and 34. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a, a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. All right, now think about this, okay? Because here's how it unfolds. The people recognized that Jesus was heading across the lake and they knew where he was going. It had to be one of the towns on the other side. And so they were able to go around the lake by foot and get there ahead of them. And everywhere they went, they would probably tell people, come on, he's going over here. And they would get over there to the other side. And when the disciples and, and Jesus get off the boat, there all of these people are. And all of these people we saw last week are the ones that he feeds, and there's probably fifteen to 20,000 of them. Because the text says that there were 5,000 men and we talked about this last week, how there's probably fifteen to 20,000 people there. What does Jesus do? Jesus gets off the boat and says that he had compassion on all these people. He saw them, and he saw the people that were lame and sick and hurting, and he, and he saw all the people that needed to know about him and know the truth, and they were like sheep without a shepherd. They, they were just aimlessly wandering around looking for something. They didn't really know what. He said, his, and they, the text says his, his heart... I just broke for them, and he had compassion. So he began to teach, as he often does. Now, I want to read for you the first couple of verses of what we talked about last week so that we could tie this together. Now watch, in verses 35 and 36. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. In other words, that's what they said last week as we read in John. They're tired. And they want to let the people go. It's getting late. The sun's getting low in the sky. It's just, you know, it's going to be dark soon. Let them go. And it was then that he said, as we saw last week, he said to them, he said, no, you feed them. You feed them. And then that whole argument ensued about how are we supposed to feed them? We don't have that much money. We don't have that much food. And, you know, the whole story of the feeding of the 5,000. And then that story, that event, that miracle comes to an end with verse 44. Now watch. Here's what it said as we saw last week. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. So it's over. They've been fed. They've picked up 12 baskets of leftovers and everybody is satisfied and everybody is content. In the very next verse, now don't miss this, the next verse in verse 45, it says this. 
Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and they were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and he said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Now, you'll see in a minute, he'll get into the boat with them. But I want to look at this text and I want you to understand what's going on because we're going to talk about this today. He says, immediately Jesus put them in the boat. Right after that event, right into the boat they go. You guys take off, I'll meet you there later. So he goes up on the mountainside to pray. Now notice that it says later that night, sun has already gone down, it's nighttime. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake. The wind's against them, and the middle of the lake is as far as they could get. And he himself was alone on the land. And it says there in in verse 48 that even in the middle of the darkness, he saw them. There they were out there in the middle of the lake. He knew exactly where they were. He said they're straining at the oars because the wind is against them. They can't go anywhere. That's the middle of the night. Then it says, shortly before dawn, he went out to them. Dawn? The next morning? So from that afternoon when he dismissed the crowd and put them in the boat until the next morning, they've been out there on that lake struggling with those oars to get that boat across that lake. And now he decides to go out there. It says when they saw him, they were terrified. And he said, don't be afraid. Now watch the last two verses. Just watch. Verse 51. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. What? (laughs) That statement ties these two events together. The feeding of the 5,000 and this event, walking on the water, that took place afterwards. Pulls them together. The one takes place because of what happened at the other. Now, I've got a couple of questions right here at this point as I look at this text. And I don't have a clear answer, but I've got some ideas. Okay, so think about this with me. Here are the two questions. Question number one is this. Why were their hearts hardened? Now think about this. Why were their hearts hardened? My goodness, they just witnessed with the feeding of the 5,000 one of the greatest miracles recorded in Scripture. The only one other than the resurrection recorded in all four gospel accounts. And yet, at the end of that day, when everything was said and done and they get into the boat, it says that their hearts were hardened. Why? Because you know what? If... That could happen to them after going through what they went through and seeing what they had seen. Then, man, what chance do we have? 
Why did that happen? What happened? Well, let's backtrack a little bit and think about it, all right? It's not hard if, if you just figure this out. They had been on a mission trip for weeks. They said they hadn't eaten good. They were, they were starving. They were hungry. They're tired. They're worn out. And Jesus says to them, we're going to go have some R&R, time together without people around us. Man, they were so excited, and they get into the boat, and they get across the lake only to find there they are again. All of those people, all of those needs... And what does he do? He starts preaching again. I'm tired. You know, I want to lay down, they say. I want some rest. And then if that wasn't enough, when it comes time for them to go home and the disciples are trying to say, hey, let them go, let them go. He says, you feed them. It puts them on the spot right there in front of everybody. And all of a sudden they're thinking to themselves, what? How dare he? Why would you ask me to feed them? So, yeah, man, they were miffed. They were, they were hot. They were disappointed. They were discouraged. They were upset. Because you know what? They were tired of ministering to people. And they didn't want any more to do with them. We need a break. That's what they were thinking. We need a break. And here you are thrusting us into the middle of this again to do more. Haven't you gotten enough from us already? All these things are going through their minds. I can only imagine But yeah, their hearts were hardened. They didn't want anything else to do with it. A lot like us sometimes, isn't it? You know, we'll do something, we'll teach a class, we'll we'll go visit somebody, we'll do something. And then we get discouraged, disillusioned, or just flat out tired, and we don't want to be involved anymore. And oftentimes what we have in churches are people who have years ago ministered, but not any longer. Years ago I did this, but we kind of want to set on that and rest on it and just say, yeah, I, I did this. And it seems like he's thrusting them back out there again, even though they had already faithfully served him. You're not done yet, you know. Sometimes you and I have to learn that lesson, don't we? But here's the second question, and that is this. When it makes mention of this, they had not understood the loaves. What did they miss? What did they not understand about the fish and the loaves and that whole miracle that took place? What did they miss? What did they not get? What did they not understand? Well, here again, I don't know. Directly, it doesn't tell us. So we're left to try to figure out, okay, what was it that he wanted them to understand in that miracle? And somehow they missed it. Well, you know, we talked last week about how much he could do with just a little. And that was a lesson they needed to learn, of course. But there was probably more involved in what he wanted to teach them. But because of their hard-heartedness, he just went right over their heads. So here's four things I want to share that I think maybe were lessons for them to learn that they didn't. Here's the first one. And we've talked about this on numerous occasions in the past. I've given you these same points in various sermons over the years. But it's something you just keep repeating until it finally clicks. Here's the first one. And that is that ministry is never convenient. It's never convenient. See, we all want to do ministry when it fits into our schedule. 
I'll be willing to do this and I'll be willing to help that person. I'll be willing to get involved and I'll be able to do. But you'll have to wait a couple more weeks, you see, because that would be more convenient for me. You know, we're very guarded with our time, our family time. Hey, look, I am too. You know, i got some grandkids coming in here this coming week, and I'm excited about it. I'm ready to spend time with little kids. So <clears throat> very guarded of that time. I know what it's like. Um, sometimes we, we, our jobs seem to interfere with ministry. Sometimes we're just tired. Sometimes we're frustrated over all kinds of things in life, and sometimes we're just plain angry. And we're not fit to be around anybody. But... <laughs> Guys, i got to tell you, at least in my life, it seems like those are the very times he thrusts somebody in front of me. God, do you not know what kind of shape I'm in here? I'm not fit to be around people right now. And then, boom, there you are. You know, somebody has a need and something has to be done. That's the nature of ministry. People don't get sick when it's convenient for you. People don't want to be taught when it's convenient for you. All kinds of things. People don't lose loved ones and need food taken to them or so forth when it's convenient. And you and I have to understand and get this through our our heads that ministry pops its head up at times when you think, oh no, not now, not now. But it does. When those, when those disciples and Jesus stepped off of that boat and they saw all of those people, I don't think that was an accident. I think that Jesus had the whole thing planned. And I think when he gets off the boat and the, the people are there and they're waiting, with they're they just hungry spiritually. I think he kind of looked around at these guys and he said, I wonder what they're going to do. I wonder how they're going to take this because, you see, we had planned to get alone and have some R&R and, man, they're going to be disappointed. But what are they going to do? And they failed. Because even though they handed out the fish and the loaves, it was like, just go home, people. Just go home. So, yeah, you and I need to understand and learn this lesson that Jesus taught these disciples in the miracle of the fish and the loaves, that ministry is never convenient. But we do it anyway because that's what God's called you to do. And as tired as you may be, as wore out as you may be, as disillusioned as you may be, God says, come on, there's a crowd out here. There's a need out here. Step up. The second thing that I believe that the disciples learned, and that is this, or should have learned, that opportunities have to be taken when they come. Now, yeah, being convenient is one thing, but but think about this. That an opportunity has been planned by God. You see, we believe in divine appointments. We believe that God brings your path across other people's paths for a reason at that particular time because they have a need that you can meet or vice versa. But here God has orchestrated this event, this time in their lives, and it was, they were primed and ready. 
You see, the Spirit of God had already done His work. He had gathered 20,000 people from surrounding towns to come and be ministered to. You have to take advantage of that when it's there. Because next week it may not be there. You know, sometimes there are opportunities that arise in, in our church that, you know what, That's, it may not be there next year. We have to take advantage of it. There may be ministry opportunities for you to go and to do and to be involved in and to learn and to grow. And we keep putting things off and we say, well, you know what, one day I'll do that. One day I'll, I'll go and, and visit a prison or I'll get involved with battered women or I'll get involved with addicts or I'll help out, I'll do something. One of these days. But you know what, God's working now and I can't put that off. Because there are divine appointments that God has set for me. And you think to yourself, there's no other opportunity, there's no other time that has to be done, it has to be done now. And so we have to take advantage of those times now. So two things that we've already seen that maybe, possibly, in this miracle of the loaves that he's trying to teach these guys... But the lessons go on because in that they also learn this lesson. And this is the third one. That is this, that hard hearts lead to hard lessons. Hard hearts sometimes lead to hard lessons. See, I, I, I look at this event of, of the, on the lake and I think to myself, here Jesus put them in the boat knowing full well what was going to happen and waited from dusk till dawn before he ever did anything to help them. Because why? They think they're tired back here with the feeding of the 5,000. They think they're too tired to minister. They think they're too worn out to minister. Let them row that stinking boat all night. Then we'll talk about how tired you are. Oh. Guys, you can't get past what it says in the text. He saw them out there in the lake, the Bible tells us. He saw them struggling, and yet he waited. You know, I think this. I think sometimes that the only way that God can get through to us and to crack that tough exterior, that old hardness, you know, in our hearts, is sometimes to bring about in our life situations that just bring us to our knees. I believe when he finally got into that boat with those disciples... (laughs) They were just about to literally die. I mean, they just about had given up. It'd be easier just to not row and let the wind blow us back to the other bank, really. And when he comes out, they think that he's died and that's his spirit. And they're horrified. But you know what the text says? It says when he got into the boat and the storm calmed, that they were utterly amazed. Why were they amazed now, but they weren't amazed when he fed 20,000 people? Because now they're ready to listen. Because now the hardness had been knocked away. And they'd been humbled. And somehow they'd been made to see that, you know what? What God tells me to do, I need to do. And I need to do it then. And I don't need to make excuses. So, Lord, if I'm worn out and you put somebody else in front of me, 
then I need to minister to that person. And stop crying. Stop saying, woe is me. Stop playing the victim card and just be faithful. Just be faithful. Here's the fourth one. And I think this is learned in both of these miracles. And that is this, that without the Lord, you can't do anything. Without the Lord, you can't do anything. See, part of the problem with the loaves is they were trying to figure out how they could do it. And they missed what he was trying to say. Guys, you feed them. We can't. And they, they figured every possible scenario where they could do that. They just came off a missions trip where they healed the sick and cast out demons. Why did they think they could miraculously on their own pull together a meal for 20,000 people with, with, with at that point, nothing? They didn't know they had the loaves and the fish till they went out and looked for them. And that wasn't the point. He had every intention of feeding the people because they need to be convinced that if you're going to do this ministry, then you're going to need to rely on me because you can't do it yourself. You couldn't feed the 5,000. You couldn't row the boat in the storm. You can't do it. And guys, let me tell you something. Till you and I come to the realization the ministry doesn't really depend on you, you're not going to do it. You're horrified of it because you think in your mind... God is up there like a judge, judging you and grading you on how well you do. And God says, don't be silly. I know you can't. I never asked you to. I never asked you to teach that class. I just asked you to be the leader and the teacher and open your mouth and let me teach it. We've got to learn that God is going to always be there to do what he's told us to do. And yes, we may supply the effort, but God supplies the results. You see, we've got to know that. We've got to understand it. We've got to be, it has got to be ingrained in us. Because I'm sick and tired of Christians who with the least little bit of resistance, the least little bit of difficulty, just fold and fall by the wayside and give up. And so they're sitting in the pew or the chair for the next 20 years talking about what they used to do in the good old days. God help us get off the good old days, okay? And do ministry. Each and every one of us, you need to sit back and you need to evaluate yourselves, myself included. And I need to ask, and so do you, how many opportunities have passed you by? How many divine appointments were there where God said, here, this is an opportunity for you to minister and to show love and make sacrifices and show kindness and do something with spiritual significance. This is an opportunity. And we sat there and we made excuses and we did nothing. How many times has that happened? I know what's happened with me and I would bet it's happened with you. So when we bring all of this stuff to a close and we think about all of this, it boils down to this, that this is not really about me. It's not about you. We're just instruments. We're tools. That's all we are. We're servants. And God says to you and me that this is the one thing I want from you, that you be faithful, that you just be faithful. That when I call you to do something, when you, you know it in your heart, then don't get hard-hearted on me. 
Just do it. But God is so hard. Yeah, I know. I know. But I'll be there. Just do it. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here this morning, Father, we are humbled by the reality that we sometimes have failed you. Father, we have failed to be faithful. We have failed, Lord, to step up and keep the appointments that you have set for us to take advantage of the opportunities that come our way. Father, I know that ministry can be tiring and frustrating and disillusioning and everything else. But Father, I pray for each one of us that each and every day we would be looking for those opportunities and listening because I believe that your Holy Spirit is going to show us. And that, Father, when we see those opportunities, we would step forward and, and be found faithful. To be able to say, yes, Lord, I'm disillusioned. Yes, Lord, I'm tired. Yes, I'm, I'm all of these things. But I'm going to serve you anyway. And I will not make any excuses. Father, help us to be that people. Father, this church could be changed overnight if we would just catch a vision for what it means to minister. Help us to do that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.